Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. Rob Roy by Sir Walter Scott. Dramatized in three parts by Judith Adams. Episode 1, Moving Northwards. Nor France nor England shall forget the terror of my name, and oft shall Britain's heroes rise. Master Francis! Heroes rise, new planets in these southern skies, through clouds of damnation. Sir! Come in, Owen. Through clouds of blood and flame. I disturb you, sir. Uh, Not at all. Just tinkering. I'll fold it. Here. Between Postlethwaite and Savory. Where it will join the common accounts and probably accrue compound interest. Your father, Master Francis, has left the counting house. Have you been sent as an advance force, Owen? Spying out the territory and hallooing the all clear? I come ahead of my own account and I do not know if I am doing well in what I am about to say. Uh, Speak out, my friend. You've always done well by our house. You must be quick, though. Master Francis, it is not right to speak of what passes in the counting house out of doors, as it were. One should not tell, as they say, to the post in the warehouse how many lines there are in the ledger. Mm. But young Twinewall has been absent from the house for a fortnight and more until two days since. Twinewall? Uh, Young Twinewall, yes. A fortnight and more, sir, and that most significantly, in my opinion, since it post-dates your first... Skirmish? Rencontre with your honoured father, my employer. Rencontre's good. Very good, Owen. But I don't see... Uh, Your father gave Twinewall a private commission, and I'm sure he he did not go down to Falmouth about the Pilchard affair. Disappointing for him. And the Exeter business with Blackwell and Company has been settled, and the mining people in Cornwall have paid all they are likely to pay, and any other business must have been put through my books. Yeah, in short... In short, young master, it's my faithful belief that Twinewall has been down in the north... Down in the north. Did he say so much? He has spoken about nothing since his return, sir, but his new boots and his rip-on spurs and a cockfight at York. (laughs) It's as true as the multiplication table. Do, heaven bless you, my dear boy, make up the difference between your father and yourself before... Frank, are you within? Make up your mind to please your father at once, Master Francis. Uh, Father, uh, pleased to have the chair. Your chair. (laughs) Owen has the prologue on me, I see. No matter. Now, Frank, I have considered our conversation of yesterday and have concluded the following. You've been throwing away your time in France like a boy. Sword fights, red wine and other extravagances, no doubt. Come what may, in future, you must learn to live like a man. Come what may, sir, I repeat, I must... Must, Frank? You must attend to me, sir, to the business. I sent you to France to learn your trade. Did you keep your commonplace journal in the terms I outlined to you? Oh, yes, sir. It's here. Let me see. Uh, brandies. Barrios and Barricons. Horsetonos at Nantes, 29 and Bordeaux, 32. Very right, Frank. Very uh, right. Master Francis is methodical. See, see. Saxby's tables. That is not well. You should have transcribed the passage. It fixes the thing in the memory. Oversea cockets, stockfish, tittling, cropling, lumpfish. Uh, they should all be entered as titlings. How many inches long is a titling, Frank? Uh, Master Francis will recollect. Uh, yes, uh, Master Francis will, I dare say, recollect anything you are so kind as to hint to him. 
Yeah, what are these? Oh, merely the blotting sheet, sir. May, may to I just... the memory of Edward the Black Prince. Verses. By heaven, Frank, if these are yours, you're a greater blockhead than I took you for. Rhymes. You see the pernicious breath of France, Owen? Sir, I dabble in a little translation. Distant cliff, stony, should say, our Britons hope and France's fear, Victoria Foot. Poitiers is always spelt with an S. I have not yet heard of any law, even in France, which subordinates accuracy to rhyme. Have you, Owen? Uh, uh, uh. Oh, Garonne and son is a bad rhyme, Frank. You don't even know the beggarly trade you seem to have chosen. Uh, I have chosen no trade, sir, and do not at present feel ready to do so. I wish more time and space to consider my... Consider trade. your duty to me, sir, and to this house. The firm of Osbaldiston and Tresham has balance sheets grown from the soil of my own penniless obscurity into five-figure sums, and I offer you a chance to make yourself worthy to join us. Osbaldiston, Osbaldiston and Tresham. The proposition is simple, Frank, and requires an answer. Will you be guided by me and Owen here into the family firm? To be my friend, my assistant, my confidant? To be a partner of my cares and of my fortune, yes or no? Oh, Lord Master Francis, Mr. Osbaldiston, sir, for the love of heaven, both look at either side of the Well, account. boy, you must answer now. Yes or no. I am shamefully aware, sir, how ill-qualified I am to play the conspicuous part in society you have destined for me, and luckily I am not ambitious of the wealth I might thereby acquire. Your mind being raised to loftier things. Oh, Mr. Owen would be a much more effective assistant. <sighs> Surely. The boy's mad. Actually insane. And... Pray, sir, if I may presume to inquire, having coolly turned me over to Mr. Owen, what may your own sage prospects be? Uh, I should wish, sir, to travel for two or three years. To travel? Or I'd willingly spend the same time at Oxford. At Oxford? Or, or, or Cambridge, should any of these things consist with your pleasure. Otherwise, I would willingly return to the continent. And complete your education in the rhyming couplet. Or I might choose the army in preference Choose to... that devil! Mr. Osbaldiston, sirs, my heart will break. Very well. I will cut this matter short. I was your age when my father turned me out of doors and father. settled my legal inheritance on my brother. I left Osbaldiston Hall on the back of a broken-down hunter with ten guineas in my purse. I have made a fortune since from my own wits and diligence in a business which, though the object of your profound contempt, connects nation with nation, relieves the wants and contributes to the wealth of all. I, I assume, welcome. Frank, since you scorn such a mean trade and profession, that you wish to walk your own way while leaning on my arm. You know I don't have funds of my own, and I trust you will not... Will not? Naturally, I hope you will not entirely withdraw your paternal support and protection from me. Therefore, you are perfectly willing to obey my directions. I will... Tomorrow morning you will set out for the north of England to pay your uncle a visit, see the state of his family, and meet the cousin I have selected to replace you. Replace Silence, me? if you please. Some further arrangements may be necessary, and for this your presence may be requisite. You shall have instructions posted to Osbaldiston Hall, where you will please to remain until you hear from me otherwise. Prepare yourself for departure. Good day, sir. Owen? Though my son of glory set, nor France nor England shall forget the dirt of my name. Glory, had that. Renown, no. 
Eclat, credit, tenor, terror, terror. Nor France nor England shall forget the... How are you, sir? Terror. How are you, sir? Name's Morris. Yeah, is it, sir? Been hallooing you some time. You have been much absorbed in your thoughts, sir. I've been wooing one of the fair sex. There's no one else here, sir. No, she has abandoned me. No doubt disliking, as a child of Parnassus, these flatlands around Doncaster. I speak of my muse, sir. I see. You make a literary reference, sir. My life has been too active, too busy in the world for books. And just between ourselves, it's my belief that women should be bought, not wooed. <sighs> May I be so bold as to ride along with you, Mr... Uh, thank you for your generous offer, but I've grown used to my own company. Oh, so have I, sir. So have I, in the ordinary shake of things. But this is a dangerous road, sir. Is it? The golden farmer, sir. The flying highwayman. Jack Needham. <laughs> I, I thought Jack had been a literary reference myself, sir. But as I am an honest man, I was with a grazier only yesterday, swore Black Jack had danced attendance on innocent travellers twice, south of Newark this very month. Really? With direful consequences to their persons. So you will agree, sir, two arms are better than one? I might agree that four would be better than two, but both your arms seem busy, sir. One with the rain, since your nag has a desire to nip mine, and the other with hugging that portmanteau, like an oar in the churning sea. My portmanteau, sir, is not an object for your scrutiny. Ah, all things are objects for a poet's scrutiny. And I observe it seems a goodly weight for its size. Look, here are the first houses of Doncaster, Mr Morris. Have you a mind to stay there tonight, as I have? Maybe I have. Maybe I mean to press on to your... Oh, tush, man, that's ours away. Dusk is coming. Remember Jack Needham? <laughs> What's that? A boy whistling his dog, I think. Come, sir. You have tender nerves for one who must have served in the army. What's that to you, sir? What can you know of me, I'm sure? I merely observe your gold-laced hat and cockade. And that's your belt heavy enough to have routed a Spanishman or two in Flanders, am I correct? Well, not I, sir. I am about peaceable, honourable business, the tenor of which is mine to know and keep. Oh, dash it, sir. Let's find an inn and eat. Lunch is far behind me now. Oh, the oak and the ash and the bonny ivy tree. Moderate your speed. They flourish Mr. best at home in the North Country. The trot, sir. The trot is the true pace for a hackney. And should we have had a level piece of ground, I might have tried that daisy cutter of yours, barring canter, for a quart of claret at the inn. Excellent. And here's a very favourable stretch of ground. <laughs> I meant with even weight. You ride four stone lighter than I. Well, I'm content to carry weight. Pray, what may that portmanteau of yours weigh? My portmanteau? Oh, very little. Or a feather. Or just a few shirts. Some stocking. I'll hold you the court of claret. It makes up the odds between us. Let me try its weight myself. You're mistaken, sir. Quite mistaken. I'll venture the wine. Ten pieces to five. A barring canter, you said. Or the oak and the ash and the bonny ivy tree, they flourish best at home in the North Country. Go on! And I say again, landlord, more ale here. You cannot 
tell the tale of a man's honesty, <clears throat> gentlemen, by describing the cut of his cloth or the clipping of his beard or smoothness of his tongue, nor the fineness of his classical education. No. Nay, indeed, Morris, I'd say to the contrary. If he's fair, he's seldom honest. Like the dames. Oh, plague him. <laughs> Many a gentleman turned to highway robbery. Now the taxes are so tight on those who had lack wit enough to suckle Jamie Stewart and his cub. Your highwaymen, if he have frills, will be a Jacobite. Mark me. All your Hanoverian highwaymen have bills and George to weigh when honest men come against them. Speak you against your king, sir. Not I, sir. My king's across the ocean. Bless him. Tut of the hot and tot would that be, sir? <laughs> <laughs> well said, Mr. Morris, indeed. And what about your young companion here, eh? You, young lady, where do you stand in the great question? Gaming or hunting is a fitter subject here than your politics any day. Eh, young sir? Oh, and the food, too. Excellent food, landlord. Oh, oh, bless the boy. Sir, you dine today as my guest. So do you all at the table. So long as you'll agree to dine and let your damn Sabbath disagreements go fester with the devil. Oh, <laughs> Mr Morris, is yon chair too low for thee that that one perch like a jackdaw on your case? Uh, let me take it to your room, sir, and fetch you a better buffet. Not in the least, good host. My case stays always with me. Landlord. Yes, sir, and sir. So, do you know Paris, sir? I do. <laughs> I'm a Peterborough man myself. Then you'll have many a Catholic as friend. Yes, Morris, but I'll share a cup with anyone, if their wine be good enough and their conversation interesting. Your pardon, sirs, but here's a gentleman wishes to dine with us at my table, and for me he's welcome enough. What sort of a gentleman? We cannot be too careful here. A Scotch sort of gentleman, and that old gentle, you must know, though they are not a shirt to their back, although this halyard has a fair shirt, he's a dealer in cattle, and as canny a North Britain-like as they across Berwick Bridge, I trow he's true as metal. Then let's have him by all means. I have been told before how there was never known such a thing in Scotland as highway robbery. That's because they have knelt to lose. Oh, no, John. No. It's in because your English gaugers and supervisors have been sent down the Tweed and have taken up the trade of thievery over the heads of the native professors, and we Scots know our better. Oh, yes. <laughs> well said, Mr Campbell. You are a trader, sir? Aye. Now go markets in south. As they do in the north. Wise folks buy and sell, and fools are bought and sold. Uh, wise men and fools both eat their dinner, and here it sits, as prime a buttock of beef as e'er hungry man stuck fork in. Uh, will you sit, Mr Campbell? There's a chair by the young gentleman here. Thank you. Robert Campbell, sir, is at your service. Morris, honoured. Honoured, sir. Francis Osbaldiston. Is that I so? Osbaldiston? You know the name. Oh, it sits in a pretty castle to the north, I know. You look hard at me, sir. I, I have never heard the Scotch before. <laughs> uh, I never call this tongue Scotch north of the border. There, there they would say, listen to Campbell, he's got in the English. <laughs> My nurse was from Northumberland, Mr Campbell. Ah, so you can all about it. She pronounced a ban and cursed and the deal spawned beyond Berwick, eh? <laughs> Can't deny it, sir. So, is this your first journey northwards? It is. The young gentleman finds French climes more to his taste than his own, I understand. Well, I've gained one end of this road to the other mere times and you'll have cut a French cabot, Mr Osbaldiston. I have never cut uh, The cocks are brawling in the coop. There's, there's ain't too many of them for wassail and just enough for warring. Hey, watch your spurs there, gentlemen. It's, it's the Laird's Day. <laughs> Mr Campbell, you're a Scotchman, sir. A gentleman of your country must stand up for hereditary right. Yeah, the Campbells I know are presbyter and cannot be a friend to Arbiter Power. Huh? Speak up, sir. Let a man die. Nay, John, nay. Gentlemen, 
How often much dubitation that King George Will deserves the predilection of his friends. And if he can hold on to the grip he's gotten, why, doubtless, he may make the gauger here a commissioner of the revenue. <laughs> well, he may even grant some good deed or reward to this honest gentleman beside me who's sitting on his portmanteau, which he prefers to a chair. <laughs> and, on t'other side, questionless, King James is also a grateful person. And when he gets his hand in play, he may, if he be so minded, make this reverend gentleman arch-prelate of Canterbury and, and commit his royal beard to the care of our friend Barbara Latherham. <laughs> but, 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 as I doubt Mickle whether any of the competing sovereigns would give Rob Campbell a tass of aquaviti if he lacked it, I give my vote and interest to Jonathan Brown, our landlord, to be king and prince of skinkers, conditionally, that he fetches us another bottle as good as the last. Oh, <laughs> Mr Osbald, just to name more of the good stuff, sir. I thank you. Your health, Mr Campbell. And yours, sir. And yours. Tell me, were you lately in France? Until two months ago. What then's your view of the Duke d'Orléans? The Duke? Aye, the Duke. More wine for you, Mr Morris. Oh, indeed. That he's a polished courtier, sir. Aye. Aye, and so are you, sir. I like a man who minds his tongue and waits to see how the cat jumps. This seems an honest gentleman. Aye, and with that bold as a lion, Mr Morris, as peaceable a gentleman as Mr Campbell is, I know that seven eyewomen beset him on the way from Berwick Fair and he defeated everyone, every white of them beggars with his single eye. There were barely two, my friend, and them as cowardly a pair of loons as a man could wish to meet. Too modest, Campbell. No, no, I, I think, Mr Osbaldiston, the French have bled themselves in this Spanish... Uh, so, did, did you really... Excuse me. Excuse me. Really and actually beat two highwaymen yourself, single-handed? In truth, did I, sir? And think it no great thing to make a song about. Upon my word, sir, I should be happy to have the pleasure of your company on my journey. I am moving northward, sir. We can scarce travel together. Well, you, sir, are doubtless well-mounted, and I, for the present, ride Shanks's pony. Or a Highland Sheltie. Oh. Aye, it is not so fast as my into legs. But... Hey, landlord, the reckoning, if you please. Oh, that's not for him, Mr Campbell. Oh, aye. Aye, aye, aye. The wine I called for his mind to own, I think. Here, John. Uh, I will undertake to pay all your charges, Mr Campbell, if... Well, you know, Mr Morris. Well, then, what a pity it is. I must refuse you again. I have business in Rothbury. I'm in no great hurry. I, I can ride out of the way and never miss a day or so for good company. Upon my faith, sir, I cannot render you the service you seem to desiderate. I'm travelling in my own private affairs. And if you will act by my advisement, sir, you'll neither unite yourself with an absolute stranger on the road, nor communicate your line of journey to those who are asking you no questions about it. Good day, Mr Morris. <laughs> Mr Osbaldiston, yeah. if you trouble to step away with me, sir. Only yeah. friend, sir, is uh, too communicative considering the nature of his trust. The gentleman's no friend of mine. He's an acquaintance of the road whose name I only know because he thrust it on me. And he didn't know mine until tonight. I know naught of his business, sir, and do not wish to know. Indeed, you seem to give more knowledge of it than ever I gleaned. Yeah, yeah, I only meant... Well, if what to credit his attachment to his portmanteau has been indicative, its inwards must be full of some rare meat. And he seems a hail rash in conferring the honour of his company on those who desire it, not... He is a nervous man, sir. But the gentleman knows his own affairs best, and I should be sorry to constitute myself the judge of them in any respect. Aye, so. Well, Mr. Osbaldiston, I wish you a fair journey to your uncle's seat, and I would suggest that for your peace, you take to the road alone tomorrow. Sir, with all my heart...
Such are the notes should say how Britain's hope and France's fear, victor of Cressy and Poitiers. Poitiers S. Ah. Oh, for the voice of that wild horn on France Arabian. She goes this way. Oh, take care, madame. Take care. Let me. Look. There she goes. Sir, I need no help. Assist the fox. Her fate is sealed, I think. Look there. Quickly, quickly. Madam. Nymph. Mademoiselle, attendez. Get on. What? I do not need your attendance, sir. Well, this is wild ground. Phoebe and I know the ground. Look to yourself. <sighs> Damnation. Thorny will be gloating for this. Oh, and here he comes. I've got her. I've got her. I see, I see. But make no noise about it, Thorny. If Phoebe hadn't bumped into this gentleman, you would have little cause to be boasting now. <laughs> Thorny, look to your duty. Got her. Got her, eh? <laughs> well, sir, as this cultivated, cavorting gentleman won't make inquiry of you, I must. Pray, sir, in the course of your travels... Have you heard anything of an expected friend of ours, one Francis Osbaldiston, who has for some time been expected at the hall? Your obliging inquiries, dear madam, make the confession I'm about to make a truly happy meeting of coincidence. <laughs> Hear that, Thorny? That's manners. Pay attention. I am Francis Osbaldiston. Thorny? He is Francis Osbaldiston. <laughs> <laughs> oh, as my kinsman's politeness seems to be benumbed by that brush he weaves at me, you will understand I must, although it is highly improper, I'm sure, stand mistress of ceremonies and present to you young Squire Thorncliffe Osbaldiston. I believe he is your cousin. Honoured, sir. Uh, uh. And I am Di Vernon, who has the honour to be your accomplished cousin's poor kinswoman. Horny! Damn you, where's the pain? <laughs> There he goes, the Prince of Grooms. Have you read Markham, Mr. Osbaldiston? Read whom, ma'am? Oh, Lord. I fear you may also be a stranger to Gibson and Bartlett. I am indeed, Miss Vernon. <laughs> Poor knight. And what a strand are you wrecked. Markham, Gibson and Bartlett are gospel writers in the Koran of the savage tribe you were sent to dwell amongst. I suppose it follows, then, you cannot shoe a horse, or cut his mane and tail, or worm a dog, or... uh, Let me relieve you by summing up my insignificance in one word. I am profoundly ignorant in all these rural accomplishments uh, to my undying grief and shame. That was a flock of words. In the name of heaven, Mr Francis Osbaldiston, what can you do, apart from make pretty speeches? Very little to the purpose, Miss Vernon. Something, however, I can pretend to... When my groom has shooed my horse and cut his tail, I can ride him. Can you so? Over a five-barred gate, can you? Like this. Uh, uh, Miss Vernon. Can you jump so high? Miss Vernon, it is too high. Too high for you, perhaps? Oh, damnation. Yeah, go on. Francis Osbaldiston, you do not quite shame your bloodstock. There are hopes of you, yes? Come, kinsman, we'll ride together to the hall. Where a late breakfast waits for no man or thing, nor woman neither, only for the morning hunt. I confess I did think exile at Osbaldiston Hall would prove a trial that Galahad might balk at. But already I'm convinced there is one exception that will make amends for all deficiencies. You mean rashly? I was thinking, forgive me, of a person much nearer to me. I think I should curtsy now, but I can't, being on horseback. <laughs> I deserve your exception, though, for I am the only conversable being about the hall, except for the old priest and Rashley. And who, for heaven's sake, is Rashley? Another impetuous leaper of five-barred gates. <laughs> if so, I shall admire him for your sake. <laughs> <laughs> 
Rashleigh is one who would fain have everyone like him for his own sake. He is Sir Hildebrand's youngest son. About your age, but not so... Rashleigh, in short, is not well-looking. The nature has given him a mouthful of common sense, and my... the priest has added a bushelful of learning. How he may benefit from these things is as he will do with them. But he is what we call a very clever man in this country, where clever men are scarce. I see. Does he have a profession yet? Bred to the church, but in no hurry to take orders. To the Catholic church? Is there another? Oh, I forgot. They told me you were a heretic. Can that be true, Mr Osbaldiston? I do not deny the charge. Yes, you have been in France. Uh, almost four years. And that has not... Turned me from my father's faith? No, indeed. You will have seen convents in France. Convents, Miss Vernon? I can't think how convents might reconcile me to the Catholic faith. Meaning? Oh, some of the inhabitants, I grant you, from a profound gift of devotion or to escape persecution, will be happy enough locked away. The others, in the majority, I'd guess, will have retreated to escape temporary mortification in the world and might soon feel very miserable. Very miserable, you think? Like singing birds condemned to wear their lives out in confinement. You frown at my metaphor. At your choice of verb and genus. I should rather be like the wild hawk who, barred the free exercise of her soar through heaven, will dash herself to pieces against the bars of her cage. Rashley, you will think the pleasantest thing you ever conversed with in your life, Mr. Osbaldiston. And I have to admit, no man would be more secure of conquering a woman's heart, as long as she was blind. His voice is very beautiful indeed. But when you see the face... Uh, oh, dear. I've shocked you again. Uh, not But see, shocked. here's the hall. You may judge all things for yourself soon enough. Be a duteous knight and hold Phoebe for me. Farewell. Uh, I'll send the humble squire to relieve you. I do, uh, Welcome to Castle Perilous, Francis Osbaldiston. <laughs> there he is. There he is. Oh, I've seen the sooner, lad. But I had to see the hound's kennel first. These are dear hounds, boy. Ah, oh, you'll get used to him nosing around the dinner. Welcome to my hall, lad. Here's thy cousin Percy, thy cousin Thorny, thy cousin John, thy cousin Dick, thy cousin Wilson. Steer. Where's Rashley? Aye, here's Rashley. Take thy long body aside, Thorny. Let's see the brother a bit. Here's your youngest cousin, Rashley. This is an honour, cousin Francis. I've had long and delightful anticipation of this opportunity to clasp your hand and speak to you face to face. So. The old hall and your father's old brother, <laughs> the younger brother, I should say, have been wheeled up the wings onto the stage, eh, lad? Oh, better late than never. That welcome. Yes, blood, uh, and, and there's enough. <coughs> Where, where's my little Di? Ah, uh, here she comes. This is my niece, Di, my, my wife's brother's daughter, I think. Yeah, yeah that's the pedigree. Prettiest girl in our deals, be the other who she may. Well, that's to the sailor. So, Francis, now you have made the acquaintance of this intellectual family, let me ask you how you like us all. <laughs> Rather comprehensive an inquiry, Miss Vernon, considering how short a oh, time... Oh, it I... all lies on the surface. If you plumb our depths, Mr Frank, you will bruise your head. My cousins are a species that is a happy compound of sot, gamekeeper, bully, horse jockey and fool. Positive. And what humour do you attach to Rashley? Uh, no word of Rashley. His ears are so acute when his selfishness is interested. You must get a top of Otterscope Hill to talk of him, and even there speak in whispers. Birds and moles are in his pay, I think. I obey. 
I would, in all events, far rather talk of someone else. The squire, perhaps? I love my uncle. I was thinking... You were thinking of me. You were thinking I am not an altogether unpleasing piece of the female sex. And as you are not entirely repulsive, we would make a fine pair for passing dalliance. My thoughts... I must inform you at once, Mr Osvaldiston, that compliments are entirely lost upon me. Do not, therefore, squander your pretty sayings, your bag of toys and trinkets that travelling gentlemen carry to propitiate the savage inhabitants of newly discovered lands. And do not, I say, exhaust your stock in trade on me. You will find natives in Northumberland who will be flattered by them. On me, they are utterly thrown away. I happen to know their real value. Come, sir. Endeavour to forget my unlucky sex. Call me Tom Vernon, if you have a mind. But speak to me as you would to a friend and companion. You can't imagine in your wildest fancies how much that will make me like you. That at least would be a bribe indeed. Uh, I told you I would bear no shadow of a compliment. Oh, very well. Expect no mercy. As punishment, I'll now tell you what you think of me exactly. Now your bumpers. To my navy, Francis. Frank, my boy. Uncle, cousins all. Very well. What do I think of you exactly? I could tell you what I really do think, but you won't allow it. You think me a strange, bold girl, half coquette, half romp. And perhaps you think I have some particular plan of storming you into admiration. I should be sorry to further shock your self-opinion, but you were never more mistaken. All the confidence I have reposed in you, I would have given as readily to your father if I thought he could understand me. It's very cruel of you, Miss Vernon, to take away all marks of particular favour from your communications, but I must receive them on the terms you state. Peeping past the uh, living screen of your cousin, however, I see Mr Rashley's chair's empty. So speak of him now in safety. You seem to hold him in some ambiguous esteem, at least. Oh, Rashley has been my tutor for four years. We are mutually tired of each other and both heartily rejoice in our approaching separation. Mr. Rashley, then, is to leave Osbaldiston Hall? Instantly. Now you're here. Didn't you know that? He's to be your exchange. Of course, Rashley demurred when offered such a degrading option and swore he preferred the prospect of starving as a Catholic priest. However, these scruples were overborne by force of the general wish. The general wish to get Rashley out of the house by any means possible. Is he so unpopular? He is feared. He has somehow or other got the entire management of all the others. And any attempt to shake off his hand, just as with any attempt to take it, is revenge sooner or worse later. Oh, but here Rashley returns with the cheese and radishes and port. And so the ladies must disappear in the solitary person of myself. I go as duty dictates. So... Cousin Francis, I shall, if you permit me, take the fair Diana's seat at court. I should be pleased to make your better acquaintance, sir. It seems our fates are tied, though our persons are to be imminently separated, I'm told. I see Di has been a usual frank self. I envy you, cousin. Envy me? You're a happy man. You come and go as the wind bloweth where it listeth. While I... What is there about being an outcast from my father's house to envy? Independence, Frank. The power of acting as a free agent, of cultivating your own talents in the way you most desire, no? Calm, don't be modest. Exiled to Northumberland. You become a second Ovid in Thrace. I don't know who acquainted you with... With your true bent, Frank? Why, your father's emissary, that young coxcomb, Twinewell, referred me to your poetry. 
When Miss Vernon allowed me to prize him from her side, that is, he told me some of your verses had been greatly admired by the best judges. Twine will it. You must give me an evening in my own apartment, for I must soon lose the charms of literary debate I once habitually enjoyed with Diana. For the drudgery of commerce and the coarse avocations of the daily grind. You and Miss Vernon exchanged poetry? My compliance with my family's wishes is indeed a sacrifice. When you consider the calm and peaceful profession to which my education destined me and the happiness I have found here in certain quarters. You tell me you truly regret to exchange the position of an obscure Catholic priest for wealth, patronage and the pleasures of London society? <laughs> oh, come, sir. You of all people must understand the word vocation. And you have misrepresented my probable destination. Not an obscure Catholic priest, cousin. I might have looked forward, I think, to high eminence, perhaps the highest. And a cardinal can sometimes set his sandaled foot on princes, no? As for patronage, that depends, surely. Uh, let me fill your bumper, sir. Uh, upon your father's disposition. You wish me to draw a portrait of my father? Spoken with the sincerity of a die Vernon, Frank. <coughs> and, and I reply in the same vein, certainly. I wish for coordinates in unknown lands, as you must in this barren waste. Well, my father likes to exercise his talents more than he cares to accrue gold. He fails in his duty to no one and permits no one to fail towards him. He abhors a Tory or a Jacobite, but holds toleration as a sacred principle. Because his king is to him a kind of chief of the board of trade, eh? You would do well not to depend on caricature when dealing with a man such as my father. <laughs> I meant no offence. I would rather talk of your cousin. Doesn't Miss Vernon form an interesting object in the landscape? We're all round as rude as Iceland's coast. Miss Vernon? <sighs> My reluctance on the subject has a reason, Frank, which I will not conceal from you. As we are growing such good friends, was a time, but as a man of the world, you tell me, where was the safety in cultivating an intimacy with an ardent, beautiful and susceptible girl whose heart must be given either to the cloister or to a betrothed husband? Is that Miss Vernon's choice? You're startled. You too have been seduced by her girlish ways and apparent freedom of deportment. But though not her choice, so it is settled by those whose power knows not the tenderness of a girl's fancy. And as a fellow man of the world, I warn you to let your experience keep guard, as I did, over her as well as yourself. For the specimen of your behaviour together at dinner must alert you to her extreme neglect of decorum and her native thoughtlessness. Try not to take advantage, sir. Do you speak your insolence, sir? Unless, of course, it is your design to supplant my poor brother, Thorncliffe. Wine, Thorny. <clears throat> and take the probable consequences. Thorncliffe? Thorncliffe, the destined husband of Diana Vernon? Order, Levy! Order, Ashley! See you down, Frank! Think like men and defends her! I took her intercourse as that of a lady of apparent good sense, and I, for my part, regret if it is true her manners show something of the rustic, and I was beguiled! Oh, don't blame yourself, cuz, for being charmed. She has a good heart, and to tell the truth, should she continue in her present extreme aversion to the cloister and to her destined husband, I am hoping my diligence in your father's business may secure me a decent enough independence to think of renewing our acquaintance, affectionate as it was of old. For though I would never, on account of my trust, 
allow love's wings to enfold us. Yet I may say it was only because I was wise in time since the lady... Say no more, sir. Since the lady, I say, was somewhat forward to me with her charms. And how can any man with blood in his veins... <laughs> Damnation, sir, stand up and strike me back. Strike me back like a man. Don't sit there smirking. So you let your brother fight for you. I cannot. I don't care how many. Come on, sir. Come on. Oi, Sword up, boy! At once! And get back to your tankard! Or you'll feel the weight of my riding whip! Uh, Fuck! Get you out of here! Or I'll not be responsible! Out, sir! Now! Oh, juice. Deuce, take me for a fool and a sot and a peasant. Osbaldiston, you are three times an idiot and all in one day. Well, you'll not be a place in the scunty then, sir. Who's there? Oh, nothing, sir. At least not a fool, neither. You'll have been fighting then with the wild beasts at Ephesus. What? <sighs> 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32. What advantage it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink. What? Aye, I forgot. You'll be another of them pagan superstitious Romans who see devils every time they unbutton to make room for the beef and bag puddings. Nay doot, and never set aside their claret wine to ken their scripture. Ah, uh, not I, my friend. I was bred an English presbyter, and I take your allusion to the drink in all humility. I can't wear the stuff, as you see. A dissenter among the Philistines, please. <laughs> Me, let me put this shovel down and offer the right hand of fellowship to your owner. Canny or feckless, you're as rare as the gold licit gistacar in this bed. Uh, as the... It's not a snuff, sir. It's a rare remedy for the stoop. Aye, I have been fighting the wild beasts the best part of these four and twenty years, as sure as my name's Andrew Fairservice, which I ken it is. And I tuck them with a pinch, sir, them luxurious effigies. Well, Andrew... Maybe they'll have forgotten my disgrace in the morning. They're in their cups too, after all. Mm, drinks a great forgetter, sir, I'm told. And as for disgrace, <laughs> don't you whip your cellar of that as meat to the Osbaldistons. Of which I am one. Aye, again. The poetical relation from southern parts, need it. Uh, tell me, Andrew, I can hear you're not from these parts. And since your religion and your temperance are so much offended by the Romans, why stay? Not once of skill, shall I? I have been about to flit every season for these four and twenty years, but when the time comes, there's I something to saw that I would like to see sawn, or I something to mow that I would like to see mown, or something to ripe that I would like to see ripen. Our noble bondage to the trade of our first father, Andrew. But if your honour would wish me only place else, I'd be indebted to ye, be it where I could hear pure doctrine and hear free cow's grass, caught and a yard, and ten pounds annual fee, minimum. Oh, bravo, I perceive you'll lose no patronage for want of asking. And where there's nae lady about, it could the apples. Not a friend to the ladies, then? No, that's my truth. I keep up the first gardener's quarrel with them. I ken them, I crying for apricots without distinction of season. Fascist bargains, all of them. Uh, you forget your young mistress, I think. What mistress do I forget? Who is that? Miss Vernon. What, what? The lassie Vernon? She's no mistress, I mean, man. Uh, I wish she were her own mistress. She's a wild slut, that in. Miss Dye is... Uh, but it's neither beef nor bros of mine to say what she is. What is she, Andrew? I'm a friend of the family, remember? How do you know? <laughs> Other than a giddy I'm fearing if you be as you say you get my meaning? Uh, no, Andrew, I can't read winks and grimaces, so find some other way to speak. 
If you would earn this crown piece. A crown piece? And the head of William upon it. I don't care what's crown, so the silver be real. Speak, and you can bite it. You want ten, then, young gentleman, since it imports you to know that Miss Vernon is... Francis, are you out there? She is. Good God, man, speak. Is she so young, so beautiful, and yet so early lost? As you perceive, stand in the way of being lost, sir. As for Miss Dye, sir, she has long been lost in a manner, body and soul. Frank! Oh dear God. Goodbye. She's a peepist. And what's more... What? Oh, just the bitterest Jacobite in the Hale Shire. <laughs> Is that your secret? A Jacobite? Is that all? Yeah. Uh, well, young master, I can't they said you'd been in France and that'll likely be where you lost your way. <laughs> and now, if you will be so good as to pay the agreed fee for my services hitherto, I shall be beholden to you. <laughs> for I'm throng with a digging. Yeah, it is, Miss Vernon. What little's left of me. You're safe for now. The hounds are kenneled and the bears are snoring under the table. Come to my study. Ask for the old library. And you may resume traipsing the primrose path that leads we all came whither. Miss Vernon. Please enter, Mr. Osbaldiston. You found your way speedily, sir? There was one servant left sober enough to direct me. I was unsure if this was the place. I expected you to be alone, as you are, but I thought I had... Perhaps your eyes and ears and wits are not of the best, just at present. May I... Sit down. No. Your education must of necessity be prodigious if it is based upon the contents of this room. Rashley taught me Greek and Latin. I can't sew a tucker, though. No work cross-stitch. So I am, as a woman, totally beyond the pale of civilised society. Uh, was that your choice, madam? Or Rashley's? Madam? You surprise me, Mr Osbaldiston, particularly after your recent behaviour. I am unfortunate in doing so. But you have the right to the attention of so many gentlemen in this family, Miss Vernon, that it can hardly be worth your while to inquire into the cause of my stupidity and boorishness. I see. You have spoken with Rashley. Upon my word, Frank, your character improves upon us, sir. You have, in one short day, proved yourself entitled to be a shareholder in the corporation of Osbaldiston Hall. It is a masterpiece of adaptation. I have but wet my shoe, I assure you, Miss Vernon and I'm too sensible of the filth of the puddle to step farther in. That is a wise resolution. And now I hope, Mr Osbaldiston, you do not dispute my title to request what has lowered me in your esteem. I trust I have your permission to protect myself. In a word, let me know what Rashley said of me, for he's the only local engineer I know able to shift all the machinery of this hall so swiftly and to such effect. It would be better, perhaps, to ask Rashley. Perhaps, but Rashley has gone. Gone? Left the hall. Remaining sober in these theatricals, as always, he has seized the rest of this fateful day to make the first stages in his journey towards London. I see. Then, uh... Then you, Frank, are abandoned in Bedlam to explain this evening's farce and struggle to recover my esteem, if that is your wish, while he gets scot-free and rides towards your father's counting-house. It won't, I fear, raise me in your estimation to reveal anything Rashley said to me in confidence. You speak to me of confidence, of esteem... You hint at loyalty between those who've shared conversation. 
Any woman basely slandered has a right to demand from every man who styles himself a gentleman, however he may compromise that performance moments later, some explanation. Which of Rashley's fairy tales has he left me imprisoned in this time? I demand satisfaction, sir. Frank, I beg you, don't be so hasty or so ill-advised as to desert me at the first hard place. Which fairy tale? Beauty and the Beast, perhaps. Ah, betrothed in my cradle to the black bear of Norway. Maybe. Rapunzel? Condemned to life in a desert tower, alone but for the chiming of the prayer bells from a distant convent. <sighs> Something along those lines. And this was enough for you to strike him and make, by the way, forever a mortal enemy? Uh, no. I thought not. What then? Rashi said something of himself in relation to me. Yes, that he was hopeful of replacing Thorncliffe as your betrothed. And... Too much honour for this humble handmaid, Frank. So very condescending of him. And he insinuated he had broken off your prior mutual intimacy, lest it should have misdirected your natural ardent attachment to him. And you only struck him with your fist! <sighs> What kind of gentleman are you? I would have called him out. Rapier's a dust. Diana, I... Can you believe, knowing rashly as I have reason too well to know him, any circumstance on earth could make me think of sharing my lot with him? Dear heaven! Oh, any lot rather than that? Do you doubt me, Frank Osbaldiston? No. Thank you. No and more. I will take on me the power you cannot exert in this place, take up the challenge you have uttered against his infamy, and call Rashley out for his villainous defamation. Rapier's a dust. Whenever and wherever we should meet again, I swear it. Oh, bless you, Frank. Thankfully, all danger of that is past for now. And Rashley, you know, seldom resolves conflict openly. He knows there are reasons why I... we must bear with his machinations. I see no reason why we should... My courtly knight. Don't rattle your sabre and flash your eyes, pretty though it is. You must use prudence, not violence, to thwart him, if you wish to be of service to me or to yourself. If you trust me, trust me in this above all other things. Ask me no more, but go now, Frank. We are friends again, yes? We are friends, my dear. Yes, good. Go, Frank. The hunt will ride in the morning, and I insist you must be there to say your sorries to my uncle and ride with me. Promise? Go. And bless you. You trust me, trust me in this above all other things. Oh, Diana. Diana Vernon. Ashes bargains are killed on Their almond son is a bad right, Frank. An ill right. As for Miss Dysart, she has long been lost in a manner, body and soul. We are friends again, yes. What may such a trust cost me? Right. Barrels and barricades, also tonneaux at Norse 29, at Bordeaux 32. Very right, Frank. Well, Mr. Osbaldiston, I wish that for your peace, you take to the road alone tomorrow. The lady, I say, was somewhat forward to her charms, and how can any with blood in his veins? Diana. Francis, are you awake? <laughs> Diana. Frank, wake up! Wait, wait. Frank! What? Oh, the devil. Oh. <laughs> As you are still dressed, you must prove these monsters wrong and be ready at once to ride with us. Frank, do you hear me? I hear. I hear. I've seen to it. Your horse is saddled and ready. Hurry! 
Scotland? I didn't know. And your horse can carry you there in under two hours. Oh, I shall hardly give him the trouble. He's a broken-winded thing, and that looks to be 18 miles, which is 36 there and back. You may have Phoebe, if you will. <laughs> You're not in jest. No, you must go there, Frank, at once. To Scotland? What would I do in Scotland? Provide for your safety. Do you understand me? Uh, no. Understand you? Indeed, I do not. Then either you don't trust me, or you're better dissembling than rashly, or you know nothing of what you're accused of. I'm in a mist, Miss Vernon. I had bad dreams last night, and I'm wondering now if I've awoke from them. Then let me convince you I'm solid in this. Do you know a man by the name of Morris? Morris? I think it was the name of a weasel of a messenger I fell in with for a time on the road, whose soul seemed to lie in his portmanteau. Well, he's damned, then, for someone's stolen it. Now you jest. He was robbed nearby on the road last night and has come to a justice of these parts to lodge an information against you as the most likely man of ill repute in designing ways he rode with prior to the incident. In heaven's name, what did you do to the man, Frank? <sighs> Teased him. Worried him a little. Just to pass the time. He was such a fool. Unwise. And did you do anything else, Frank? You suspect me of meriting the charge. Did you not suspect me only yesterday? What shall you do? Call me out for it? Do! I can shoot flying as well as leap a five-barred gate. Now you're teasing. This is all a jest, surely? No jest. You're accused of robbing this man, and my uncle fears it may be so. At least he advised me to help you over the border until the clamour dies down. He's not a hard man, my uncle. I think it's a good plan, Frank. Upon my soul, but I'm obliged to my friends for their good opinion. Hush and listen. The man Morris carried money from the government, both in coin and bonds, to pay the troops in the north. And, it's said, some other weighty dispatches worth a king's ransom if they fall into Scots' hands. Frank, it's high treason they accuse you of, not simple robbery. And you believe it? Frank, you must understand there are plenty in this county, and one not far from your elbow, who think it a merit to distress the Hanoverian government by every possible means. Therefore... I am sorry to be about to disappoint them. Meaning? Before whom was this extraordinary accusation made? Old Squire Inglewood, who warned my uncle they are old friends. Where's his house? Five miles that way, among the trees in the low ground. Why? Where are you going? Instantly to refute this damn demented accusation. Not you, my dear Miss Vernon. Why? When I can show you the way, come on! Is that him? Come along, 
He's dined already. That's the man, Morris. I have a croaking sort of voice. Come. I am a lady, sir, but you must sing. Die. Oh, die, Vernon. The heath bell of Cheviot and the blossom of the border. Come to see the old bachelor, eh? Art welcome as flowers in me, girl, but... Who's the young slip? Uh, what, uh, no luck for the old fellas, then? My name, Mr. Inglewood, is Francis Osbaldiston. The man this gentleman here is accused, I'm told, of high Aye, treason. Sir, I, I, I charge nothing. I say nothing against the gentleman. Damn me, is this uh, Osbaldiston or not? I am Francis Osbaldiston, sir. Of what am I accused? Nothing at all, sir. Nothing. Well, then we dismiss your complaint, sir. That's all. And good riddance. Now push the bottle. Mr. Osbaldiston, help yourself. Uh, pardon me, sir, but I haven't heard the grounds for any charge against me yet. Oh, dash. Um, solitary spot. Day after he left here, two men took his portmanteau. Uh, Well-mounted, well-armed, faces masked, you know. But one, he says, your shape and size, answer to the name Osbaldiston. Careless of him, I say. Says you'd already threatened him, sir, as you <sighs> rode together previous to uh, the... Abated him, sir, which I now admit was childish. Practising on a coward's terror. And that, and that gave me good cause for suspicion, sir. In... I am happy to bring forth those who will speak for my character, look sir. Looky, and... looky, looky. If you have the man's portmanteau, let the fellow have it back and end the frolic. No harm done, eh? Indeed. I thirst for no man's blood. I resent deeply the implication, sir, that Francis. I... Sir, a strange gentleman to wait upon your honour, sir. Urgently, sir. Good God, I'm going to have no rest, no quiet. If it's upon business, tell him it's after luncheon now. Well, I must solicit you to give my business post-prandial attention then, sir, regrettably. Mr Campbell. Aye, good day, Francis. Good day, Mr Morris. I believe you ken brawly what I am. I believe, Mr Morris, well, you cannot have forgotten what passed at our last meeting on the road. Morris, who is this? What ails you, man? Well, tell the good justice who I am, Morris. Eh? Ach, well, I'm a cavalier of fortune, sir, and a man of honour, and I come to relieve you all of a troublesome duty with regard to this young gentleman here. And what the deuce do you know of the business, sir? Well, I presume Morris here told you there was a person of the name of Campbell with him when he had the mischance to lose his valise. Mention no such name from beginning to end, sir. Oh, I conceive. I conceive. Mr Morris was saving me from collision with the judicial forms of the county. Well, I'm grateful to you, Morris. Indeed, I am. But alas, my evidence is necessary to acquit an honest gentleman who's been most unjustly suspected. Mm. Well, Mr Morris might as well charge it against the babe yet to be born. Or against myself, even, as against this young gentleman. Now, do you agree, Morris? Perfectly. <clears throat> I retract everything, sir, everything. I beg you to allow us all to go about our business. I am in haste now to be gone. Then to the fire with the declarations. There we are. Wine, anyone? I must go. And I must leave the house with you, Mr Morris. Well, I'll see you safe to the next highway. Well, bid the justice farewell, man, oh. and show your southern breeding. Hmm? Eh? Well, we go then, gentlemen. Madam, good day. <sighs> Case dismissed. <laughs> I get you both gone. And, uh, bless you. <clears throat> Comes age like embers. Are you sorry not to have seen me off to Scotland, Diana? Deeply. 
For now, I must throw you back among the bears, and with Rashley gone, you will have no one to talk with but my poor self. Oh, that is indeed a form of exquisite purgatory. Diana? Frank? How came Campbell there? You didn't look surprised, nor he to see you. Tell me. A little, I can tell. Rashley wishes you ill. I wish you well. Rashley knows Mr. Campbell. I know Rashley. And knows some things he does not care for me to tell the authorities. Campbell neither. I knew Rashley was riding last night and would see Campbell on the way south. My plan, when you were safe in Scotland, was to meet Squire Inglewood with Mr. Campbell and trounce the charge against you. That is the sum, Frank. That is all you need to know. That you are my guardian angel. I know it now. Of course I am. And now you must stay a while in England's wild north and be Di Vernon's brother. <laughs> Bro brother? No, wait! Diana! Go on! Rob Roy by Sir Walter Scott was dramatised by Judith Adams. Rob Roy was played by Liam Brennan. Rashley by Sean Chapman. Francis by Tom George. Andrew by Alec Heggie. Diana by Vicky Liddell. Owen by Michael Percival Maxwell. Morris by Simon Tate. Sir Hildebrand by Gareth Thomas and Mr. Osbaldiston and Squire Inglewood by Paul Young. All other parts were played by members of the cast. Rob Roy was directed by Gaynor McFarlane. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another Amazing story.